Romans 14 and the first 13 verses of chapter 15, this is one of the most important New Testament passages for the daily life of any church. This is where Paul discusses how to handle differences of opinion on matters of personal conduct. This is not talking about doctrinal differences. This is not talking about that sort of thing. He's talking about opinions about personal conduct. And these matters, while unrelated to the gospel, and we're going to define them very carefully, but unrelated to the gospel, meaning whether you do or don't, is immaterial to your salvation. These things, unfortunately, in churches can become the greatest points of contention, which is a real shame that we're not going to break up and, and split as a church over some important passage of scripture, and some are, have aberrant doctrine, but we're going to split over things like the color of the carpet. We're going to split over, I don't like the new website. <laughs> we're going to split over things like, she shouldn't be allowed to wear those shoes at church. Things that have nothing to do with salvation by grace through faith. Now, at Calvary Chapel Trustville, you maybe have seen on the website, we don't make a big deal out of it, but we've got those, those three core values that we talk about that kind of describe us, which is the Word of God. We study it. We teach it every Sunday, Wednesday, home fellowships. The power of the Spirit. We believe in the full continuing work of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts, all the rest of that. And number three is grace in all things. And we mean that. <laughs> we insist upon the instructions given here as normal for how we are to treat and regard one another. And I think, unfortunately, with many churches, the reason they end up dividing and fighting over things that have nothing to do with the gospel is because they've never been taught, number one, the difference between gospel and opinion, or gospel and application of the gospel, and they've never been taught how Paul and the apostles handled these sorts of things, because we have a lot of teaching on this. So I'm going to instruct us, and the best part of this is I don't feel the need to correct any of you on this. Praise God. So if we needed to have a corrective message, then, you know, I would probably be speaking a little more carefully. But because I don't have anybody in mind with any of these things, we can just teach it like it says. That's a good thing. All right. Now, there are two major points that Paul is going to make in chapter 14. One is going to be from verses 1 through 12, and the next one is going to be from verses 13 to the end of the chapter. One is addressing the person who has a weak conscience, and one is addressing the person who has a strong conscience. Here's the strategy for how we're going to address this. I'm going to give two unbalanced messages two weeks in a row. One is going to be balanced against the person with the weak conscience, and one is going to be balanced against the person with the strong conscience. So what I'm telling you is you have to take these two together to get a full picture here. The instruction for us as a church, if you are of a strong conscience, if you feel very free in your salvation and you feel that the Lord has given you liberty to do an awful lot of things, this week is going to be your favorite Bible study. If you have a strong conscience, or sorry, a weak conscience, and you have very strong opinions about things, and you feel like do's and don'ts are the most important thing for a Christian, you're not going to like this week very much. Next week, you're really going to like it, though. And I think that that's good. We're trying to get a full understanding of what Paul is saying here. For that reason, let me get a piece of instruction out there for actually sitting through these messages. Normally, I love a lot of talkback. I love amens. I love hallelujahs. I love yes, lords. For these two weeks, let's keep a lid on that. Not saying you, you can't or anything like that, but here's the reason. When I make a point about a certain issue, 
that may be personally important to somebody else. You don't need to be going, amen, because then they're going to go, really, he was talking about me. Or they're going to say, okay, so you're one of those people. So that means, okay, I can put you on my list and I can keep it down. I'm not saying we've got to be sober and still and silent. I'm just saying, as we go through these things, we're trying to learn how to love one another better. So let's be loving even as we hear these messages. So when I get a rousing statement about how we have liberty to do X, Y, or Z, don't stand up and say, yes, Jesus. And next week, when I say things like, we've got to make sure that we are not stumbling one another, don't you either stand up and, yes, amen, Jesus. Because there are differences, and we are not to make a big deal out of these differences, so don't exacerbate them by how you respond to the message. Are you with me on that? The whole point of this week and next week and the following also, the gospel itself, not just meaning the saving of souls, but how the good news brings us together as people in the church. That gospel is too important to be jeopardized by matters of opinion and personal conviction. The gospel that saves souls, that can reach down into the slums and the worst, darkest corners of humanity and lift people up out of the dunghill and place them on the solid rock, that is too important for the workers in the harvest to be squabbling over stuff that doesn't matter. Amen? You can say amen that time. <laughs> so let's get into this. We're going to read the first three verses here. And as I said, this is going to be lopsided. This message is entitled, For the Weak Conscience. And next week will be entitled, For the Strong Conscience. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So Paul here is addressing, in context, differences between Jewish and Gentile Christians in the Roman church. This has already been a big point that he's made. We saw it in chapter 2. We saw it in chapter 9, 10, and 11. We're seeing it again here, that there was a mixed body here. You had Jews and Gentiles. Within that group, you had also those that were strong in their faith and weak in their faith, or their conscience was strong or weak. And there was disagreement between them. And as you can see, the disagreement is over two things in this passage. Number one, what was eaten. And number two, what days were observed. Now, we've been going through the book of Leviticus on Wednesday night, so you're probably up on this. Number one, they're arguing over keeping kosher in the things that you eat. And they're arguing over the holy days, namely the Sabbath. Paul says you've got one person who believes we can eat whatever we want. Didn't... God say to Peter, rise, kill, and eat, Peter. Didn't Jesus declare all foods clean? But then there's the other, the weak person who eats only vegetables. This person says, you know, I'm afraid that living in this Roman city, that these things are not being properly killed and properly cleaned. So I'm just going to be a vegetarian like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so that I don't accidentally defile myself. Clearly, we have some Christians, probably the Jews, but Galatians tells us there were Gentiles that fell into this too, who were still observing the food laws of the Old Testament to some degree, and others who were observing the Sabbath day and perhaps the feast days, while others were not keeping those days. So you have this, this potential conflict, right? You've got some Christians who want to worship on Sunday, some who want to worship on Saturday, some who go to work on Saturday, and some who say you can't go to work on Saturday, it's the Sabbath. You come down for a, for a potluck, and somebody's bringing in a nice veggie platter, and somebody's got, you know, pulled pork. You're like, we can't eat that. The Bible says that it's unclean. Oh, all things are clean in Christ Jesus. You just brought vegetables? What's wrong with you? And there would be fights. And then you end up with the first church of the vegetarians and the first church of the carnivores, and that's not good. 
So he instructs them not to quarrel over opinions. Now, the word for quarrel there is, is actually stronger than quarrel. It's, it's diocrisis. It means to judge, to arrive at a decision. He says not to sit there and evaluate somebody's opinion and come to a judgment about them. But instead, they were to welcome each other. And you notice that by calling such things opinions, he's emphasizing that these are not crucial matters. These are not even moral matters. These are matters of opinion. I don't think we should be eating meat. I don't think it matters what we eat. I think we still ought to keep the high holy days. I don't think it matters what days we keep because it's all been completed in Christ Jesus. This is a similar topic. It's actually the same theme, but it's a different issue that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and then chapter 10. He's in that passage teaching the same lesson about meat that was being sacrificed to idols. And he gives them the same rules, which are if you feel like you have the freedom to eat, knock yourself out. If you don't, don't be judging anybody. 1 Corinthians 8.8 sums up this whole lesson. He says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better if we do. So no better if you don't, no better if you do. These are the kind of issues we're talking about right now. And the reason this comes up is because we have incredible liberty and freedom in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk about this in, in some detail next time. That there is liberty in Christ. That for freedom, you have been set free. And in fact, Christians aren't defiled by the things they do. They sanctify the things they do. That's amazing, isn't it? But here's the problem. There are people whose consciences are weak. And even though they might know it on paper, when it comes time to live it out, they just can't bring themselves to do it. The old man in the, in the Roman church who has been a Jew his whole life, and he's come to believe in Messiah, but he's like, I've never eaten pork before. I can't bring myself to do it. I just can't. Come on, old man. Don't you know you're free in Christ? I do know that, but I just can't. That's what we mean by a weak conscience. Now, this is important to note, because sometimes we think a strong conscience is the person that doesn't do things. When, in fact, the Bible flips that around. A weak conscience person is somebody who needs to abstain from more things so he doesn't feel like he's in sin. Whereas a strong conscience Christian believes, I can do all manner of things because I'm free in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about these things here. Often in the church, we have, for cultural reasons, and I say cultural, not biblical, not theological, but cultural reasons, we have opinions on certain matters that we elevate to the level of righteousness. We say what you say or what you do about this issue determines if you are a good or bad Christian, even though they have nothing to do with salvation by grace through faith, by faith alone. But for Paul, he says the most important thing is that freedom in Christ is primary. How do we know what issue falls under this category? And I'm going to give you a whole long list of examples in a second. But how do you know? Let me put it this way very plainly. If there is no biblical prohibition against it, you are free to do it. Oh, a bunch of y'all just looked at me. That was funny. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on a second. You can't say that. I can't say that. Because in Christ Jesus, he says you have been set free from these things. Now, can we nuance that a little bit? Yeah, sure, of course we can, right? There, there are certain things that, you know, just technologically weren't around in the Bible, but they still fall under those principles, right? There's the lessons that the Bible teaches us. But things about which the Bible has nothing to say are things about which we really ought to have nothing to say. 
Let me give you some examples, and some of these things are going to be easy for you, and some of these things are going to be more difficult for you to accept. But they all fall under the category of matters of conscience or conviction. Number one, as we see here, is the Old Testament law, namely the Sabbath. The Bible goes out of its way to explain that Christians are not under the Old Testament law. However, there are some Christians dating from the very beginning that feel like we ought to keep the Sabbath and not work on, on the seventh day of the week. That is a matter of conscience. If somebody wants to do that, they're not a better Christian. They're not a worse Christian. It's just a matter of conscience and a matter of conviction. Same thing we saw in 1 Corinthians. Number two is food that's been sacrificed to idols. Now you say, how can you eat food sacrificed to idols? That's, that's pagan worship. All right, there you go. But the person with a strong conscience in Christ says, that idol is just a lump of wood. Who cares? You can bow down to it and burn incense all you want. It doesn't mean anything. That's a strong conscience. Now, there are some that say, I'm not going to participate in that. There are some of our Hindu or former Hindu brothers and sisters in Nepal and India who refuse to be cremated. Now, is there anything biblical against being cremated? No, but it's a stand for them because of what it means to the Hindu culture. For them, it means we're allowing your body to pass on to the next life, so they prefer to be buried. Now, that's a matter of conscience. It's a matter of opinion. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can or can't do that. Let's get right into the heavy one. Number three, the consumption of alcohol. Now, the Bible gives a lot of instruction about this. It tells us that it can be, lead to wasteful living, that drunkenness is debauchery, and that we ought to be careful not to allow these things to master us. That said, Jesus' first miracle was what? Turning the water into wine. And what did the guy say when he tasted it? Oh, man, you saved the good stuff for the end of the party. Thank you. That's, that's really great. Thank you very much. Jesus was accused of being a drunkard. John the Baptist, they said, that guy's crazy. He eats bugs. And then Jesus comes along and says, this guy, he's a glutton and a wine-bibber, is the old language for you, right? He eats too much and he drinks too much. It's just unseemly for a holy man to drink that much. That's what they accused him of. Now, was Jesus a drunkard? No, he was not. But the point being made is Jesus himself engaged in this liberty. And you read through the New Testament and the Old. The sin is drunkenness, inebriation, because you're not supposed to have your, uh, your conscience diluted at any time. But then there's a passage in Psalms where it says that God gave wine, the fruit of the vine, to gladden the heart of man. What am I trying to say? It's more complicated than it is often presented in the church. There is liberty there. What you drink cannot defile you, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So there are some Christians that will engage in that, and there are some Christians that don't. You are not a better or worse Christian depending on which side you land on. Now, if you're going off and getting plastered every weekend, yes, you've got a problem. But that's not what we're talking about. How about number four, tobacco? What does the Bible say about smoking? Nothing. Not a thing. Now, for the amount of sermons I've heard about smoking, you'd think that the Bible had an awful lot to say about it. Now, listen, what happened? Now, this is a great example. Say, well, okay, the Bible doesn't say anything about that, but it does say about taking care of your body and such and such. Okay, yes, but what, we, what have we begun to do? We've begun to apply principles. We're not standing on what the Bible says. We're trying to apply it. Now, for somebody else, they say, well, if food can't defile me and drink can't defile me, then how is tobacco supposed to defile me? The Bible doesn't say anything about that. So there are Christians that will smoke. Charles Spurgeon was a famous cigar aficionado. He says, well, I never smoke to excess. And they said, well, what is excessive, Mr. Spurgeon? He said, no more than two at a time. <laughs> that was Charles Spurgeon for you. 
Number five, movies and television. What does the Bible have to say about the movies? Nothing. There were no movies. What does the Bible have to say about? About looking with lust, right? The Bible has things to say about, I'll not put anything defiling before my eyes. And there are Christians who have differences of opinion of what pushes them over that edge. There are some Christians that are very grieved when they see somebody committing a murder on TV. There are other Christians that it doesn't bother them. So how can that not bother you? As we're going to read, it's not up to you to figure out how it doesn't bother them. Because they're not committing that murder. In fact, a real murder is not even being committed. It's actors on a TV. So, well, I still don't want to see that. It fills my mind with negative images. Okay, great. But you're no worse off if you do. You say, I don't see how somebody could watch that and not be excited about this or that. Well, it's not up to you. What matters is how do you stand before the Lord? The Bible has nothing to say about these things. And there are some Christians that, a great example, movies that have magic in them, for example. Some Christians take a very strong stand on that. The Bible says we're not supposed to engage in witchcraft. I agree with you. But if you're watching that movie, that's not witchcraft. We're watching somebody do it. Well, first of all, you're watching somebody pretend to do it but you're not yourself actually doing it. And if you have a strong conscience, you're able to, it's like the idolatry thing. It's like, well, it's not real. It's a big gold lump of wood or lump of gold, right? It's a movie. It's actors on a screen pretending to do something. And I'm not myself engaging in it. Here, number six, the style of worship in a church. Does the Bible give us prescriptions over what kinds of things we are to do in church? Yes. Does he tell us the style we're supposed to use? He does not. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs unto the Lord. Does he say you have to use a piano? Does he say you have to use a guitar and loop tracks and that you have to have a fog machine and that you have to have bright lights? No, he doesn't. Does he say you can't? He absolutely does not. Well, it's distracting, perhaps to you, but for somebody of my age and my generation, we just feel like we're making a big deal out of God. We're bringing ourselves into a place where like, it feels like God is here. And when you say, well, you shouldn't feel like that. Well, I might say the temple was made of gold and they smoked incense in it and they had people singing choirs and songs unto the Lord. There's difference of opinion. Styles of worship. It doesn't matter. You might say, I prefer it this way. That's fine. Somebody else is not sinful for doing it a different way. Here's one, homeschooling. Oh, man, I've gotten some looks about this one. They say, so uh, your wife's homeschooling your kids? No. Oh, where do you send them? We send them to public school. Oh. I went to public school. Oh, well, I mean, they're not what they used to be. Now, I wasn't great when I was there either, let's just say. All right. Does the Bible tell you where you have to school your children? No, it says nothing about that. Does it say you have to send them to Christian school? No. In fact, that's not even mentioned in the purview of the church. Does it say you have to homeschool them? No, it doesn't. Does it say you can't send them to public school or that you have to? No. There are some people who feel very strongly, and my wife and I are, are in this group, that we're not giving up on these schools. We're going to keep our kids there so that they can shine the light. There are others that feel just as strongly, I'm not keeping my kids there. I want to be the one that's controlling everything that they're being taught. I respect that too. There are some that say, if they're going to go to school, I understand they shouldn't be home, but they should be at a Christian place. Okay. We can differ on that opinion. But you're not a better or worse Christian depending on what you do. And I was a youth pastor. Bad kids come from everywhere. I'll tell you, like it, you know, public school kids, private school kids, homeschool kids, co-op kids. Bad kids come from everywhere. Number eight, social media. Social media. I don't use social media. Started out when I was younger because I thought it was lame. I didn't realize everybody was going to get so excited about it. But now I'm older, and I have some more thoughtful reasons about why I don't engage in social media. 
but the church has a Facebook page because that's where people are. And I'd be happy to tell you, you know what, I, I, I think there's some good reasons why you can abstain from that. But you're not wrong. You're not doing something wrong by engaging in that. You can sin on social media, but if you're just using it as a Christian should, you can do lots of great things there. How about number nine, the discipline of children? The Bible tells us to discipline our children. Does it say you have to spank them or you can't spank them? No, it doesn't. It says to discipline your children. We do premarital counseling. We get some couples that come in, and the only thing we try to figure out is, do you agree over how you're going to do this? If you agree, no, we don't want to spank our children. I say, all right, that's fine. You better have some real intense timeouts. That's all I can say to you, <laughs> right? But then you have somebody who comes in, and they're both saying, yes, we're going to spank our kids. We're going to do this. All right, just, you know, take it easy every once in a while. It's all right to show grace, too. It doesn't matter, as long as we are accomplishing what God has told us to do. Talking about observing days, number 10, Christmas and other holidays. There are some Christians that feel very strongly they should not celebrate Christmas the way Americans do for a number of reasons. There's some, you know, depending on which historian you ask, there's good ones and there's other ones that they'll say, you know, uh, Christians, they just took the, the pagan holiday and they called it Christmas. And there's some that say that it was way before that the Christians were celebrating Christmas. There's others like me that say, well, it doesn't matter because I'm not worshiping a pagan god now. I'm doing it in honor of the Lord Jesus, O little town of Bethlehem, right? But if you have a strong opinion about that, okay. One man regards the day as special. One man regards every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind, Paul said. You don't need to come down on somebody that has chosen to abstain from those things. You know, I, I really don't feel comfortable celebrating Christmas. What? What's wrong with you? No, 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 no. Not to quarrel over opinions. Number 11, personal style of hair or clothing. This is less of a big deal than it used to be. But, you know, when I was going to school, they said you cannot have a hair that is foreign to nature. They said if you're going to dye your hair, it has to be brown or blonde or black or whatever it is. No blue, no purple, no pink, whatever. They changed that rule like five minutes after I left, so that was frustrating. But, you know, it's like, you know, difference of hair, difference of clothing. Why, can, why do they dress like that? Why aren't the guys wearing collars and suits anymore? Why are, you know, the ladies dressing this way instead of the way they used to? The Bible just tells us to be modest and to make sure that we're presenting according to our appropriate gender. Other than that, there's an awful lot of leeway, right? Number 12, this is an interesting one because it's kind of degrees here. So gambling, what does the Bible say about gambling? Not much. It tells you to be responsible with your money. And there are some people that are unable to bet on a football game without being irresponsible with their money. And there are others that they think it's kind of fun to have a little skin in the game when you're watching the Iron Bowl every year. Now, is it, is it inherently a sin to do that? No, it's not. The Bible doesn't talk about that. But there are some that feel very strong. Like, for me to do this, I would be being irresponsible with my money, and I would not feel like I could, before the Lord, say I was being a good steward of what you gave me. All right. We have differences of opinion. It's okay. Number 13, political policy. Now, there are certain... You don't have to chuckle. It's okay. It's going to be all right. Political policy. Now, there are certain things where it's like, look, there is a right and wrong position on this when you come to moral issues. But like tax law... The Bible really isn't interested in, in what you're, you know, they had kings and emperors back then, right? Their sons were getting conscripted and sent off to fight around the world, and they had no say in that. So, I mean, taxes, foreign policy, things like that, socialized medicine. You know, the Bible doesn't even talk about what form of government we're supposed to have. So Christians can differ on these things. 
Now, there's certain things that are moral principles, and sometimes we differ about how best to accomplish that moral principle. We need to make sure we have freedom in the church to disagree with each other without jumping down each other's throats. Because now it's like everything, you know, whether you want to have a bridge built or not, like the fate of the country depends on, on your opinion on this, right? That's a little much. Number 14, related to that military service. There are some Christians who, from the very beginning of the faith, this was a debate that was being had, like in the early, early centuries, where when soldiers in the Roman army would get saved, a lot of them felt like, I can't obey Christ's mandate to turn the other cheek and be a soldier. Others at that time didn't feel like that was a problem. So they made room in the church for both of those opinions. It's also, in large measure, where hospitals began to come from, because Christians were saying, can we go to the battle and just take care of the wounded? It's a pretty interesting story. You should go check it out. But there are some today that, like, I'm a conscientious objector because Jesus said that we're not supposed to harm one another or kill one another. And there are some that say, well, we've got to defend our country, and God's given us a right to do this. It's like, okay, let each be fully convinced in his own mind, Paul would say. Coming to the end of this list here, how about video games? Now, I played a lot of video games growing up. I've heard a lot of strong opinions from people on this. Children are playing those games, and they're, 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 you know, children will commit 15,000 murders in a video game every day. Okay, but they're not real murders, right? They're not. It's, it's lights on a screen that are blipping and flipping back and forth, and, you know, you're not actually killing anybody. You know, you start over, you try again, right? There's some people that say, well, I just think it's a gigantic waste of time. Lots of things are gigantic waste of time. Building ships in a bottle is a gigantic waste of time, <laughs> in my opinion, Right? And this is, a, this is a generational thing. Right? They say, well, these kids are doing this, and they're, they're spending all their time, and it's so violent. It's like, well, it's not real violence. Like, you might have, well, I think it might lead to, okay, that's your conviction. But the fact remains that they're holding a thing and staring at the television. There's conviction. There's matter of opinion there. And the last one, I saved the best for last, is medicine and vaccination. There are some Christians who have very strong opinions on, I don't think we ought to be taking medicine Period. God heals us. The Bible says that the Lord is the one who heals all your diseases. Asa the king was reprimanded by the Lord for seeking the physicians rather than the Lord for his healing. Okay? They, they can make a very strong biblical case for their position. It's not mine, but they can make that case. There are some Christians that don't believe in vaccination. I'm not one of those Christians. I, I vaccinated all of my children. My wife and I are vaccinated. And now then the whole COVID-19 thing came up and everybody developed very strong opinions about the vaccine. You know what the Bible has to say about that? Not a thing. You know what that means? It means that we need to make room for how each other feel about it. And we need to not judge one another or disdain one another or tell each other they've taken the mark of the beast for crying out loud. <laughs> Thankfully, that kind of died off quickly. But that, I mean, that was happening in the church. And I couldn't help but think of Romans 14. He's like, don't pass judgment on each other. Be fully convinced in your own mind and let your brother be fully convinced in his. So that's a long list. I think you're kind of getting a sense of these things. These are things that you can't point to scriptures that says do not or you must do. These are not addressed by scripture or in some cases they're explicitly permitted in scripture. Matters of sin do not fall under this category. There are many people that want to take this and say, therefore, we should be allowed to have homosexual relations with one another. Well, no. The Bible is very clear about its prohibitions about that. People say, ah, oh, cursing. Therefore, you know, one man regards one word as bad. One man, no, no, no. The Bible is very clear. Let no unclean speech come out of your mouth. It's, in fact, more restrictive than cursing if you want to get into that. Or drugs is the other one. 
right? Oh, but Jesus drank wine, therefore I can smoke pot. No, 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 no. And let me explain to you the difference. What's the sin when it's regarded, regarding alcohol? Drunkenness, inebriation. If you're smoking a joint, that's the only thing you're after, is inebriation. You're trying to get high. When we have medicine that doesn't get as high, we just call it medicine. You go to the drug store. You're not actually buying drugs there, right? That threw me off when I was a kid because I was in the D.A.R.E. program, and I'm like, they're selling drugs at that store over there. <laughs> Matters of sin do not fall under this category. But it's, it's amazing to me that the things I just listed, while none of them have anything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will be the most controversial in most churches. And the points about which we have the strongest opinions and can talk for the longest are things that have nothing to do with Jesus' death and resurrection. There are some people that have got like two things to say to you about the Trinity. You know, they can talk about the resurrection for about five seconds before they run out of things to say. But then when it, when it comes to tattoos, man, oh, they've got all kinds of things to say. They know every scripture. They know every historical example. You know, they, they can go on and on. Somebody going to tell you that you shouldn't celebrate Christmas. They maybe can talk for days and days, and they have blogs, and they have podcasts and things like that. And you ask them, how have your devotions been lately? It's like, well, you know, I've been trying to get into it again. Sometimes we have a bad proportion in what we think about these things. Because Paul said in Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The basic principle is that we are free in Christ Jesus. We are not, number one, to judge each other. And number two, we're not to disdain each other. Meaning, if you don't have that liberty and someone else does, don't judge them. If you do have that liberty and someone else doesn't, don't look down on them. You're not better than them. We're saved by grace through faith. Everything else is, I mean, these things aren't even secondary or tertiary. They're, they're off in the fringe somewhere. So today we're going to focus mostly on the weak conscience. This is the person who cannot accept the liberty of Christ in a certain issue. Next time we'll look at the strong conscience, but we kind of defined our terms here. Let's get into verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So first, he's addressing this issue of passing judgment on one another, the weak conscience. And he speaks very strongly, right? Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? He's talking to these Jews who probably were upset at these Gentile Christians who weren't keeping the law, weren't keeping kosher, weren't keeping the Sabbath. And he uses a different word for servant here than usual. Usually you use, you use that word doulos, which means slave. It's a very general term. He uses the word here oiketes comes from the word for house, oikos, like the yogurt, right? Oikos. Oiketes. This is a household servant. This means not just somebody who works for you. This is somebody who lives in the house. This is a servant who is part of the family. In this case, Christ is the head of the household, and we are his oiketes. We're his household servants. Do you appreciate it when someone judges your household? When somebody has things to say about the way you're raising your children? Or somebody has a comment about the way that your children have been playing outside lately, or about your mom or your dad. You know, they kind of just say something like you're going to just let it pass or something. We don't appreciate that. Neither does Jesus when people judge folks in his household. 
Matthew 15, 1 through 20. I'm just going to read selections from this passage here. But the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, this wasn't just wash your hands. This was a whole ceremony that they would go through of washing their hands. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? That's a good question for us all to ask ourselves sometimes. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? He said, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Now, why are they vain worshipers of God? Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Teaching people's ideas as if they came from God leads to vain worship, Jesus said. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. He's making the point here. He's like, this has nothing to do with your heart. It's your hands. It's water and dirt on your hands. Your food goes in your mouth, through your stomach, and out the other end. How can that touch your soul? Food or drink or washing hands or getting dressed or cutting your hair. It can't touch your soul, Jesus said. So to look back at our list, matters like drink and smoke and television and Facebook cannot defile a born-again Christian. Do you think those things can rob you of your salvation? Of course not. Now what we say, no, listen, I don't think that you're unsaved if you do those things. I just don't think you're as good a Christian as I am. Or put it a a nicer way. I see these things as helpful safeguards. We're not supposed to look with lust. Therefore, I'm not going to watch any movies. Because you see all kinds of things in there that could stimulate that. Okay, fine. But if someone else does that, you don't get to judge them for it. Because they're not committing the sin, they're violating the safeguard you have chosen for yourself. This is the Pharisees' problem. They say, you're violating the Sabbath when they were doing things like scooting their chairs back in the dirt and pulling gray hairs out of their head. It's like, they're not violating my law, they're violating your traditions. It's the same thing for you. If somebody else does not see your helpful safeguard as something they want to apply, they don't have to. We don't go beyond the commandment as Christians. We don't go beyond it. Now, you might say, well, I don't see how you can do that without also committing the sin. The good news is it's not up to you to figure that out. How can you be a Christian and engage in this activity? Because what did Paul say? God is able to make him stand. His salvation is in the hand of Jesus Christ, not silly things like the things we have convictions and opinions about. This is why Paul calls it weakness. He says you're placing way too much value on the flesh. You're giving the things we do with our hands day by day way too much power. They don't have that much power. The gospel regenerates the soul. And then now this person is a walking holy place that sanctifies things by their use. This is why Paul says everybody can be fully convinced and do it to the glory of the Lord. Just leave each other alone. It's like that song from Sesame Street. Remember that one, Get Along? I remember that one anyway. (laughs) When you have kids, you start looking for the things you watched when you were a kid so that you can watch them again and say that it's for them. (laughs) Now, very often, 
Very often, those that have the weakest consciences and make the biggest deal out of opinions and matters that are not Scripture are older, tenured Christians who have been saved probably their whole lives and enforce their opinions on other people. That's not always the case. Sometimes there's a, there's a movement in the church and somebody gets saved and they're so excited about the Lord that they start calling out everybody for stuff that has nothing to do with salvation, right? It is up to you. Those of you who have strong opinions on the matters that I just listed, it is up to you to, out of love, keep those opinions to yourself and not make somebody else, especially somebody who is younger in the faith, feel bad about something that God has accepted them for. We differ in this opinion. If they ask you about it, give your opinion. That's fine. If you're raising your own kids, you raise your kids according to your convictions. It's your prerogative. It's like when, they're, when you're real young, you don't know anything. You need some rules. And as they grow up and get to know the Lord, and they can see where their conscience lies. But it's not up to you to go around convicting and condemning people. In 1 Corinthians 8, and we'll look at this lesson next time, Paul talks about those that are strong need to not stumble those who have a difference of opinion. And sometimes that lesson about stumbling other people can be turned into a giant stick that some people beat other people up in the church with. You wearing that shirt stumbles me. You watching that movie stumbles me. I heard you had a drink and that stumbled me. Stumbling is not the same thing as being offended or bothered by. Do you know what stumble means? You made me sin. That's what stumbling means. You've, you shook my faith. I had a hard time deciding if I was going to keep following Jesus in that moment. That's not the same thing as I don't like that or I wouldn't do that. You've got to get that because there's some, well, I, I, I'm stumbled. And what ends up happening is everybody else is trying to be kind and loving. And the person that has the strongest opinions is bringing everybody down to what they want because they throw their elbows around every time somebody disagrees with them. And this is how churches get sick. There's no need for you to bring these things up unless you yourself feel pressured. If you don't eat meat and you go, somebody invites you over to their house, hey, I'm barbecuing today, I'm going to be smoking a, a brisket in the backyard. Then say, hey, you know, I don't, eat, I don't eat meat. What? Why? Well, it's, you know, before the Lord, I just don't think it's right. Okay, I won't. But you don't need to hear somebody else saying, hey, we're having a barbecue tomorrow. You come over and you say, well, I don't eat meat. And when you sit here talking about that, that upsets me. It doesn't matter if it upsets you. You need to show enough love to them to allow them to enjoy the liberty that you might not have, but in Christ Jesus is theirs. 1 Corinthians 10, 29, Paul says this. Will you hear me now? Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Can I read that one again? Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? There are some people, they spend all their time finding other churches that disagree with the way they want the style of worship to go, and they go around trying to make them feel bad about it. I can't believe that they have lights, like colored lights on the stage. I'm going to tell them what I think. You don't even go to that church. Well, I'm going to tell them what I think. They don't need to know what you think. They probably don't care what you think. But you don't even need to tell them. Well, they're playing one of those songs from that band that I don't like. Well, the song is giving glory to Jesus Christ. Yes, but I don't like that. I've got to say something. No, you don't. The conduct as a, of a church is determined by the word, not opinion, not tradition, and certainly not personality. We all grew up differently. Some of you in here, this is your first church, and you're learning what it means to be a Christian. Some of y'all have been in dozens of churches for various reasons. Some of you came from a very different tradition, a very different background. If we're all going to be able to worship together, the things that don't matter need to 
not matter. We don't judge each other. Now, next time we're going to look at the strong conscience and what their job is. But today, those of you that have weak consciences and things like the ones I described really give you a rough time, you need to remember not to judge brothers and sisters. We're not going to have home fellowships that kind of develop into this is the, the pro-dancing home fellowship and this is the anti-dancing home fellowship. You know, and if you're, if you're okay with movies, then you go here. But if not, you know, there's one over here for you. No, never. Those kinds of things are not what we're interested in. We have liberty. We don't judge each other, and we don't disdain one another if we differ. Verses 7 through 9. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Remember, we are his household servant. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. He's carrying on this idea of everything is done to the honor of Christ, not each other, not you. I'm not living my life to impress you. I'm living it to impress Jesus. Ultimately, everything we do is for the advancement of the gospel, not petty matters of personality. This is why you have to be serving in the church, by the way. This is why you've got to be doing things like prison ministry in the schools and helping out with the kids and setting up on a Sunday morning because it reminds you that there's so much work to be done in this world that these things really don't matter. This is why we go to mission trips and why we get around the world and we see the state of the harvest so that we don't start fighting over the color of the tractor we're using in the harvest. As a pastor, it's my job to proclaim that message of salvation, and it is also my job as the head of this church to make sure that no extra burdens are being placed on anybody. Galatians 2, I'm just going to, for time's sake, to summarize. Paul talks about when he first went to Jerusalem and they were evaluating his teaching, he brought Titus with him. Titus was a Gentile, and there were some Jews in the church that said, if he's going to be a Christian, he's got to be circumcised. And Paul said, not on your life. He's saved by grace. And anything you do to his outside body can't touch his soul. He said they came in to spy out our liberty. He said, what are they doing in there? And there are some people that will do that to churches. They'll come in and ask a lot of nice questions because they're trying to set you up for a rebuke. Don't do that. Paul circumcised Timothy, yeah, in Acts 16. Because the reason for that is Paul says, we're going to be going to a lot of Jewish synagogues, and I've got this Jewish brother with me, so even though we don't have to be circumcised, I'll circumcise him so that it's just one less thing to fight about. But when it came to Titus, he goes, no, because Titus is my example of what we don't have to do to be saved in Christ Jesus. So at Calvary Chapel Trustville, we have a standing principle. Every ministry leader knows this. We don't make extra rules. If you can avoid making a rule, don't make the rule. We did this with our youth group when I was uh, leading that, especially when it came to summertime. We'd go to the lake, we'd go to the pool or something. And I told everybody, I'm not going to sit here and outline for you what it does and does not constitute appropriate swimwear. I'm going to say, if you can look yourself in the mirror and say, this is modest, then fine, come on. I never had a problem, not once. If we ever had somebody that came in with any other issue, we'd say, you go address them personally. But I'm not going to put something else on everybody else because one person is causing a problem. We teach the word and we let it speak. I don't ever want to make a policy here that when you say, why are we doing this? I explain it from logic and culture rather than, well, turn in your Bible to and I'll show you. That's where we make rules from. Now, we have matters of preference and opinion that we have, but I'm never going to stand up, for example, and say, if you don't teach verse by verse, you're going to hell. If you think that, then you're, you're totally missing the point here. 
He's like, I'm so glad that you don't teach topically. I'm like, well, don't stick around too long because I will teach topically eventually. You're going to hear some of those. You know, we're not like, you know, we do contemporary worship. But we also play hymns. And I would have, you know, sometimes people will come in with a small church. I love small churches and that you're not just trying to have some big church. I'm like, well, I'd love to have a huge church. You know, someday we're going to be a giant mega church and this is going to be like our museum and we're going to have all this stuff going in the... I came from Lynchburg, Virginia. They had a lot of those because it's like the city of churches in Virginia. But it's like, hey, the church is going to grow. I hope it grows. We're not small because we feel like it's our conviction to be small. That's just where we are right now. You know, we, when we were in the other room, we didn't have a big stage and a big sound system because there wasn't room for one. Sometimes things are just because of the way they are right now. It's not because we have a strong opinion on it. Salvation is by grace. Are you saved by any of the things that I listed earlier? God's going to go, uh, yeah, but your hair was kind of long in 2024. <laughs> so you, you can go to heaven, but you don't get to go to extra heaven. So it's, you're saved by grace. So that's how we treat each other as somebody who is totally saved only by grace. We don't add to that. And the thing is, there's plenty to keep us busy with the big things, isn't there? You know, I, we want to look around at the way, state of the world today. It's like, we don't need to be arguing over these petty little things. There's plenty of obvious things to keep us busy. And from this pulpit, sometimes I may stand aside and I'll say, you know what, but let me give you my opinion on this one. I don't mind doing that, but I'm going to make it very clear. It's my opinion. I don't teach my opinions. I teach scripture. I might share how I apply a principle. Very often I'll share how lots of people apply a principle. But I'm not going to stand here and teach extra stuff. Because my job is not to change your personality and change all the little details of your life. My job is to introduce you to Jesus and let him do his work. Verse 10 through 12, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. He reminds us we have no right to judge anyone because Christ Jesus is the judge. And he quotes there, if you want to write this down, that, that quote in verse 11 is from Isaiah 45, 23. One of Paul's favorite verses. He applies it to Jesus a couple times. Every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus is Lord, which tells us exactly what Paul thought about who Jesus was. But he's reminding us here that all authority is God's. We're going to give an account to God, not each other. So how dare you set yourself up as a judge of somebody else? Matthew 7, Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Would you like God to judge you the way you judge other people? I know for myself, not always. With me, I'm like, oh, grace, Lord, grace upon grace. And I see somebody doing something I don't like, and I say, ah, it's, just, it's a shame how the church has just deteriorated from where it was back in the glory days of whenever your glory days were. Evaluating somebody's maturity or somebody's fitness for Christian service based upon their conformity to your opinions is the height of arrogance. And you know, to arrogate something means to take something that isn't yours. When you are arrogant, you are saying, God, I'm going to judge today. And God goes, it's not, you don't get to judge. You don't get to do it. My kids will do that sometimes. Like, we should vote. It's like, we don't vote around here. This is, a, this is not a democracy in my house, but we really want to vote. I, I, I'll take it up with myself later, but it's not going to look good. And it's going to be corrected at the judgment seat of Christ. 
1 Corinthians 3, just summarizing this passage again, he said, we're building on the foundation that has been laid for us. And everybody's deeds are either wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. And Jesus is going to evaluate the works that have been done with fire on that day. Wood, hay, and stubble burn up in the fire. Gold, silver, precious stones are refined and made pure in the fire. So Paul says, this isn't a matter of salvation. This is a matter of rewards in heaven. That's why Jesus said the last shall be first. And many that you think will be first will actually be last in heaven. Because they did a lot of work, but it was all wood. It was all hay. Knowing that your standard of judgment is going to be the fire of the gaze of Jesus Christ, do you really want to set up another standard of judgment now? The world is dying and going to hell. Are we going to squabble over measly priorities, things like this? Instead, let us regard each other with the grace of Jesus, with love and kindness and acceptance. God has already accepted every Christian you've ever met. It's not up to you to poke and prod and see if they look just like you. Don't do that. We won't do that here. And I will say, we're not doing that here now. I'm not correcting anybody in this room. If you feel corrected, I'm not thinking about you, I promise. But just remember, we always can learn this a little bit more. To honor each other. That our honor in the church is assigned not based on certain cultural markers. Oh, he always dresses sharp and he doesn't drink and he votes right and he doesn't go to the movies. That makes him a good Christian. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. None of those things have anything to do with his soul. Is he, is he growing in faith? Does he love the brethren? Is he committed to the person of Jesus Christ? Is he a servant of all? That's what we evaluate. And that's where honor is assigned in Christ's church. And there's a lot more to this subject, and I know it kind of feels like half of a message. Next week, we're going to look at the other side of the coin and what to, ha- what to do if you are a strong-conscienced person. Because those of you that feel real free in Christ are loving this right now. About time somebody said that. In fact, I'm going to go home and engage in some of that stuff today. But what about you, though? You've got instructions, too, and it's coming for you next week. But for those of you today who are weak in conscience meaning you are easily stumbled, easily offended by things that people do in the church, you've got to reevaluate your evaluations of people. Can you honestly say that your Christian life is defined by liberty and freedom? Or is it, I'm trying my best to stay within the lines? That's the law, brother. That's not freedom in Christ. Sin is sin. And you might say, well, this might lead to sin, but it's not a sin. Do you see the difference? You know, I, it's, if they go to that dance, they might end up fornicating. But the dance itself is not fornication. Do you see the difference? Make sure you are, are remembering where you're, you're placing the line. For yourself, it might be here. For somebody else, it might be there. You've got to remember what Christ has said. I don't need you to change your opinions. That's the other thing today, too. I'm not trying to get you to change your opinions on these things. If you've got strong convictions, go for it. Teach them diligently to your children. But you need to remember that they are exactly that. They're convinci- convictions. Matters of conscience. And if somebody else differs from you, you give them a hug and a kiss and say, God bless you. The Lord loves you. He's accepted you, and I accept you too. And we can fellowship. We can hang out. We can go to each other's houses. We can shake hands and smile at church without this thing coming up every time we talk with each other. We are only ever going to make rules and judgments at this church based on the grace and the freedom to be found in Christ Jesus because that's what saved us, and that's the only thing we have to offer anybody else. 